0: Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning. I'm here with Michael Zarling. And uh, today we're going to enter into the book of Galatians after we finish the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. Amos chapter 9 starts with an image that I thought would be most meaningful to my co-host if I would compare it to a scene from one of the earliest Avenger movies in which um, Thor hit with his hammer the shield of Captain America and it caused almost a uh, sonic-level boom of, of... energy or sound that uh, rippled through the whole uh, surroundings in that scene. And that kind of reminded me of verse one, where God told uh, the prophet, strike the capitals on top of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Uh, This vibration going all the way from the top of the temple down to the bottom and even into the ground.
1: That is a very astute comparison, Pastor Leighton. I was comparing it to something else uh, that in the first four verses of Amos chapter 9, God is saying that he's everywhere. Uh, We sing the refrain in a couple of the psalms in our hymnal, the mighty Lord is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And we think of the great comfort we have that God is watching over us. But Amos is describing a different reaction that we have that God is watching over his creatures. Uh, I saw a video this week of some tourists out in small boats on the ocean, and they're all excited as they see some killer whales, some orcas gently swimming by their boats. But then the orcas saw a lone penguin swimming by, and they thought that was a snack. And so the orcas are following the penguin, and you watched for about two minutes as the penguin goes in and out of the water, and the orcas are going in and out of the water with their fins. Well, finally, after two minutes, the penguin jumps into one of the the boats. Uh, he gets right up on the edge of the rubber raft, and one of the guys scoops him up, and everyone's cheering because he's saved, except uh, that what would have happened if the orcas decided to go after these inflatable rafts. They have more than a snack with a penguin. They have they have a meal with all of these people. And I just thought of that because of what God is saying through his prophet Amos in these few verses, that no one flees from the Lord. That even if they dig down to hell or if they ascend to heaven, if they hide themselves on Mount Carmel, if they're at the bottom of the sea, God is with them. If God wants to destroy them, they're going to be destroyed. If those orcas really wanted that penguin, there was nothing those people could have done to stop them.
0: It's that attribute of God that uh, most often we call his omnipresence, and uh, it can go both ways. You can use God's omnipresence to comfort you, that uh, he is with you and uh, he is present right by you. Uh, even in your heart, uh, that is how close he is to you when you feel lonely. Uh, But at the same time, when you think like uh, Jonah, that you can run away from God, uh, no, there's nowhere that you can go and and completely escape him.
1: So it's interesting that over 90% of Amos's prophecies are severe punishments, often ending in total destruction. And yet, you're looking at the end of chapter 9, God's final word to Israel is a word of grace and blessing. He talks about uh, rebuilding David's fallen shelter. He says, in that day, I will raise up the fallen shelter of David. I will repair the broken parts of its walls and I will raise up its ruins. I will rebuild it as in days of old. Uh, David's shelter is referring to his kingdom, that David's kingdom had already been split in two, into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Soon, it would completely fall as the Assyrians took over and took away the, the northern kingdom. Later on, the Babylonians would take the southern kingdom into captivity. And then after 70 years, the Israelites would be allowed to return from their Babylonian exile. But what Amos is talking about here is the final and permanent rebuilt temple would appear in the days of Christ, the Messiah. At that time, Israel would be gathered into God's church with the Gentiles and they would never again be uprooted from their home, the home, the new Jerusalem that will last forever.
0: There are uh, Bible scholars out there who will claim that, well, when I say Bible scholars, I mean people who are smart and know the Hebrew language really well, uh, but they are not scholars in the sense that uh, they are God-fearing. And and they would say that, uh, as you pointed out, this Ending on the prophet Amos is kind of uncharacteristic, and uh, they would they would say, well, then that must mean that uh, Amos didn't really write the ending to his book here, uh, because his big thing was scolding and yelling and uh, uh, preaching law. So this must be some kind of uh, other uh, scribe or interpreter that added this on at the end. Uh, but you you don't you can see even the lack of logic in that, uh, if you don't have any evidence to say that somebody other than Amos wrote this, uh, why would you make that claim Uh, just because the style changes a little bit? Uh, This is, when you're a God-fearing student of his word, this is what we call the distinction between law and gospel. And, And even if... Uh, minister of God's word is uh, given the assignment to preach a whole lot of law, the thing that you do when you are a messenger of Christ is uh, that you let the gospel predominate. And for Amos, that simply means not so much that the gospel gets uh, the majority of words in his book, it means that uh, he ends on that note.
1: Is there anything else you want to bring up with Amos chapter 9?
0: Just one little thought I had was the comment about uh, in verse nine, the sieve and how uh, God's judgment is like a sieve. Um, and that is true for those who do not believe in him and uh, who face uh, an eternity of his punishment. But it's also true for believers here on this earth. And uh, it, we shouldn't let it surprise us when we must suffer. Uh, in particular, I was thinking of the hymn writer, Paul Gerhart. Uh, he had uh, there was a motto that was put, I think it it was below one of the pictures or paintings that was done of him uh, after his death, that he was a theologian sifted in Satan's sieve. Um, He was a man who went through a lot of hardships. He lost his parents at an early age. Uh, He was uh, widowed, uh, I think, more than once. Many of his children died. He saw the horrors of the Thirty Years' War. He was not appreciated by the people that he served with the gospel at all, Uh, but yet he produced some of the most beautiful and memorable hymns and poetry of uh, all of our Lutheran heritage. Um, and uh, and for that reason, I, I kind of thought of Paul Gerhardt when I was reading about God uh, putting people through a sieve in his judgment.
1: All right, well then let's move on to Galatians. Uh, the book of Galatians is all about Paul writing how we are saved by faith, that we are justified, declared innocent by the righteousness that Christ has won for us. And I think of how several years ago I had two ladies that were in my adult catechism class. And as we're studying the works of Jesus in the second article of the Creed, I asked them, you know, this is the most important question I'm going to ask you and If you get this wrong, we have to redo everything. And so I asked, well, how are we saved? And they both got the answers wrong. You know, one lady said, we're saved by what we do. And the other lady said, well, we're saved by being good and going to church and things like that. And I told them, well, that's the difference between the church you were raised in and what you are learning now from the Bible and being Lutheran is that we're not saved by what we do, we're saved by what Christ has done for us. And that's the essence of what Paul is talking about in Galatians.
0: Uh, This is uh, supposed to be a book that uh, I did teach to the... uh juniors at Shoreland Lutheran High School, and and hopefully I'll get better at it over the years, but uh, I've come to a new appreciation for it, uh, having just gone through a little more detailed study of it. Um, Paul writes this letter to uh, churches that he founded on his uh, first mission trips uh, through Asia Minor. And uh, he is amazed that, uh, he, well, I suppose he probably felt kind of like you did with uh, your adult instruction students, that uh, I thought we covered this ground before. I, I thought that you already knew how you're saved. And uh, the the big thing is uh, it has to do with circumcision. Really, um, you could say that uh, there were some troublemakers who came to the Galatian churches, after Paul had uh, founded those congregations, and basically these uh, false teachers were saying, Yeah, we agree with uh paul 's religion, uh, he got everything right uh, we're in we're full uh, unity with him, except for this one thing: uh, you do need to get circumcised uh, Jesus saved you completely uh, it 's all by grace." And also you need to get circumcised if you want to call yourself a true follower of Christ.
1: And so Paul begins uh, Galatians chapter one saying, Paul, an apostle, uh, not from men, not through a man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So uh, what he's saying here is he is bolstering his apostleship because The people in Galatia, these Judaizers were challenging him, saying that he wasn't a true apostle. He wasn't a direct follower of Christ like Peter, James or John. He wasn't one of the original disciples, but he says that he was called. So Pastor Leighton, what is your call specifically to do at Shoreland?
0: To teach religion and German and to uh, carry out youth ministry.
1: And I think of my call here at Water of Life. So we just recently merged Epiphany in Racine, where I've been for 17 years, merged with New Hope on the north side of Racine. And my new call is to be the pastor of leadership and training, laying out a long-range plan for our new congregation and training members in service. And then we just extended a call, and I'll talk about that as we move on through Galatians to another pastor to serve alongside of me for a pastor of growth and outreach, that he's going to be working with the members I've trained to do the ministry work and then also doing a lot of the outreach where I'll we'll be doing the inreach, But our calls, whether it's uh, this other pastor or myself or Pastor Leighton, we're not called by men, we're called by Jesus Christ, just like Paul was.
0: The... Uh... The exception would be that Paul had a, a direct face-to-face meeting with Jesus Christ. Uh, you where, didn't Have that in your call? D- no, I oh. I didn't have any special uh, visions or or dreams of Jesus appearing to me and telling me to come uh, to to Shoreland Lutheran High School, um, and and this is this is really Paul's big. Uh, Argument with the uh, Judaizers. The Judaizers is the name that we've given to Paul's opponents in Galatia. Uh, We we don't really know what to call them. We've sort of made up that name. Uh, The Judaizing Christians, Judaizing means simply that they want to hold on to some of the old Jewish customs from the Old Testament, uh, in particular circumcision. Um, And Paul says throughout chapter 1, no, I am just as good as uh, Peter, James, or John because I did have direct uh, face-to-face contact with the risen Lord Jesus uh, who gave me this assignment.
1: So in verses 6 through 9, Paul addresses the main problem the Galatians were having. From what Paul says, the problem was that some people... The, like Pastor Lightning said, the Judaizers were introducing another gospel, which really was not a gospel at all. It was a law. And every time I read through Galatians, uh, I am amazed at how nicely Paul begins this letter to the church of Galatia, uh, grace and peace to you and so forth. And then wham! <laughs> uh, he He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. He talks about them perverting the gospel of Christ and so forth. Uh, Paul is not shy about calling them out. And that's because salvation is on the line. You know, as Pastor Lane, you know this, like Vizzini said in The Princess Bride, you fall in one of the two classic blunders. The first being never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only lesser, only slightly lesser. known. never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. We'll but, never challenge Saint Paul when grace and salvation is on the line.
0: The problem is that he he dropped over dead uh, right after he said that. Uh, not the Apostle Paul, but uh, vizini in that in that scene, right? Wasn't that when he?
1: Yeah, that is. He but, drank the. But, but death is on the line, and grace and salvation is on the line, so Paul makes a big deal out of it.
0: He uh, he does. Um, th- there, there are a couple of things that we could touch on. One of them is, uh, as you said, how nicely he started the letter, and he f- found several ways to... Uh, Teach salvation by grace alone, uh, even without getting into the main heart of the letter, uh, when he begins with grace and peace to you. Uh, he talks about Jesus giving himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, you really, you can see it as good news that he is so intense in verses 6 through 9. Uh, the one that I wanted to point out is uh, verse 10, though. He asks, "'Am I now seeking the favor of people or of God, "'or am I striving to please people?' Uh, if I were still trying to gain the approval of people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I, I, behind that, you can sort of see that uh, the Judaizers must have been accusing Paul behind the scenes of being a people pleaser. That, uh, oh, yeah, he's friendly to you or he is uh, so cheerful and and uh, winsome with you or charming with you. Uh, but that's just because he's a people pleaser. And so now he he bears his teeth and shows some real uh, uh hostility toward the opponents of the gospel by uh, saying, if we are an angel from heaven preach a different gospel, then uh, be eternally cursed.
1: And I thought of that same verse of seeking the favor of people. And I thought of a number of years ago, I had a, a mother who was uh, in our school or her child was in our school and wanted to take the classes to join our congregation, which was fantastic. But she was coming from the Episcopal Church, and I didn't know anything about the Episcopalians. So I read the Northwestern Publishing House book called A Lutheran Looks at Episcopalians. And what was interesting about that is in the Episcopal Church, uh, you can basically believe whatever you want to believe. The only thing that you cannot do is criticize what other people believe in the Episcopal Church. Well, they need to hear what... Paul is talking about here. True love for Christ is not creating a physical or visible union where you can believe whatever you want to believe. Paul says that true love in the Holy Christian Church is the Holy Spirit establishing a union based on the doctrines of Scripture. Uh, And sometimes uh, people are going to be offended by those true teachings,
0: what, what is interesting for me about those verses, well in particular verse 10, is that uh, this, is, this is the impression that Paul gave at first. He, he gave the impression of somebody who was a people pleaser. Now he very clearly is not a people pleaser. But uh, that, that was how he operated with his initial contacts with, uh, with the unbelieving world. Uh, he didn't necessarily stand on a street corner and uh, call out all of the sinners who are going to hell. Uh, he, he gave a very clear impression of, I care about you. I, I want to uh, uh, show my concern toward you. And that was misinterpreted as weakness on his part by the Judaizers or by the people the Judaizers were wrongfully influencing.
1: And then in verse 13, he talks about, certainly you heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God to an extraordinary degree and tried to destroy it. Uh, you know, I, I wonder, Pastor Leighton, if you ever s- felt the joy of seeing someone who opposed Christianity turn around and support it.
0: What? It- I, maybe not. Uh, nothing in my personal life is uh, coming to mind right off the bat. Um, I, I suppose there was a guy that uh, I was taking through an instruction class one time, and he uh, was uh, he was agreeable to Christ and and salvation by grace and the death of Jesus saving us, uh, but he did not at all believe in a, a biblical six day creation. And uh, so that kind of became a bone of contention. And I, I wish I could tell you that he turned around and became uh, a faithful Christian. Uh, all evidence seems to point that he did not, but he, I did get to pause him or stop him a little bit in his tracks one time when uh, I said, well, here's the thing. Uh, evolutionary theory says that uh, death is necessary. It is the engine by which evolution is propagated. And uh, if you believe that Jesus came back from the dead and destroyed death by his uh, resurrection, uh, then aren't aren't we actually saying that we believe that uh, Christ has destroyed the uh, primary tool for move, moving evolution forward? And uh, he did kind of have to stop and say, well, I guess I better do some more reading.
1: Well, I was thinking of two uh, news stories that I read again this week. One is of... Jordan Peterson, if you know you're listening, you don't know who he is. Jordan Peterson is a well-known psychologist and speaker, so he was uh, talking in his podcast about Christ working on his conscience, and he began choking up, shedding tears while talking about Jesus Christ and the whole idea of following him so here's someone that's not opposed to Christ and yet just that contemplation of and it sounded like Christ is working on his heart, and he's breaking him down. Another example is of Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, if you don't know Milo, he is a gay man who has a conservative message. He's willing to speak on conservative principles, and he sparked riots on university campuses. But last week, he triggered those exact same people on those campuses uh, when he came out saying that he was now ex-gay. And sodomy free, and that he was a part of the Roman Catholic Church, and, and so it's really interesting that here are two high-profile examples of maybe maybe people who weren't necessarily opposed to Christianity, but they uh, they had no interest in Christ's teachings, and yet they encounter Christ crucified in the scriptures, and Christ is visibly breaking them down for all of their followers to see.
0: This is uh, really interesting for me because um, I've actually been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson podcasts, but they're more so older ones. Um, I do know the the Milo that you mentioned, but not as well. But it it was interesting that... Jordan Peterson has had a, a very high view or use for uh, things like the book of Genesis, uh, he, but not because he believes that they're historically true, m- more so because he thinks that they are useful as a way to uh, uh, straighten up society or, or use use as mythology to uh, teach people good morals and values. Uh, and, and so that would be the difference between him and the traditional Christian message. Uh, but I did hear... Uh, in an interview, or not an interview, it was like a question and answer session where somebody asked him, uh, what do you make of the um, part in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, uh, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. And uh, Jordan Peterson's answer to that was, well... I don't know if this will be a satisfying answer, but I guess the best answer I can give right now is I'm glad I haven't reached that far in my studies of the Bible yet. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I, the one thing I wanted to say about Galatians 1 here in, in the section that we're on in verses about 11 through 18 is you see a very strong similarity between the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther. And what I mean by that is... Um, Both of these individuals are great examples of people who would tell you, uh, if you want to be saved by your works, uh, listen to me. I could have done this. I could have been saved by my works if that was how God operated with us. Uh, I was the top, uh, you know, most uh, um, zealous Jew of uh, Judaism. Uh, That's what the Apostle Paul or Saul would have said, Uh, I I was the top of my class when it came to zeal for Judaism. And Martin Luther was the same way. If anybody could have been saved by being a monk and torturing himself, uh, that that was Martin Luther. And both of these men would tell you, that is not the way that uh, God lets you into heaven.
1: And then getting into chapter 2, these Judaizers are insisting that to be a true Christian... The Gentiles in that area of Galatia had to keep the Old Testament laws. Laws like circumcision, worship on the Sabbath, tithing, sacrifices, etc. Today, we have people insisting that in order to be a true Christian, you must separate yourself from all the laws and doctrines of Scripture. So an example of that from this week was when CNN's Don Lemon was asked about the Catholic Church affirming the biblical doctrine of one man and one woman in marriage. So what the Catholic Church said was what the Bible says, and the Christian Church has taught for 2,000 years, and then before that, all the way from Moses. But Don Lemon, uh, if you don't know, he's engaged to be married to another man. And so he said in the interview, quote, The Catholic Church and many other churches really need to re-examine themselves and their teachings because that is not what God is about. God is not about hindering people or even judging people. But what Lemon is doing is really no different from what the Judaizers did of old. They added laws to say, this is how you love God. He's taking away laws to say, this is how you love God. But both are putting words in God's mouth and speaking for God's words that he has never said.
0: When you look at uh, the way that uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, uh, maybe what uh, Mr. Lemon is saying is not entirely untrue, uh, but just remember that Paul calls the devil the god of this age. Uh, So if you're if if that is if that is your god uh then yeah the devil would certainly be in favor of it uh but uh, in chapter 2 you can definitely see that uh, historic christianity takes a stand and that's precisely what paul did uh when peter showed up before i get to that section though i just want to point out that um paul makes it very clear to the galatians in uh verses 1 through 10 that um the Jerusalem council itself had affirmed the scriptural teaching that you do not need to get circumcised in order to be saved. Uh, he says that uh, even Titus, who was a Greek, did not have to be circumcised. The the brothers in Jerusalem had already affirmed this, uh, and it was all agreed upon that uh, uh, Paul would be the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, then uh, something happened. Uh, th- Paul uses a situation to illustrate for the Galatians uh, precisely why this is such an important matter. I don't know if you want to give an overview of that.
1: Well, no, I'll let you do that.
0: Oh, well, okay. So, uh very briefly, uh Peter came to Antioch and uh there were there were a group of Judaizing Teachers there that claimed they were from the Apostle James, and uh, they started to separate themselves whenever it came uh, time to eat. Uh, if, for dietary restrictions, the Jews didn't want to eat with the Gentiles, um, and uh, it was Peter's custom before they uh, those Judaizers started doing this that... Uh, he, he would eat with the Gentiles. And then he stopped eating with the Gentiles. He started separating himself uh, and only ate with the Jews. Um, now, the reason I am making such a big deal out of this, and Paul made such a big deal out of this, is because uh, there was a public statement that was made by that. And I think that uh, we sweep things like that under the rug all too quickly. We uh, do not take into account the public statements that are made. Uh, Maybe a good example would be by what uh, funerals a Christian pastor performs. Uh, If he performs funerals for people who are uh, completely outwardly rank unbelievers in their lives before they died. Um, When it comes to the types of uh, spiritual activity that we engage in uh, as believers with b- between church bodies or with other church bodies, these are not insignificant deals. And uh, Paul here shows that when he goes toe-to-toe and uh, publicly rebukes the uh, sort of the chairman of the apostles right in front of everybody.
1: You know, and a good example of that, as you said, Pastor lightning Le- is you were talking about sitting down and having a meal and that made me just think of you know back in the 60s and so forth where you had maybe African Americans that they had to ride in the back of the bus or they had to use a different drinking fountain or they couldn't uh sit in a certain area of the restaurant and then you might have uh, white people who said that's wrong which it was and then they decided I'm going to use uh that same drinking fountain that my black neighbors are using. I'm going to go sit next to my black neighbor and the back of the bus. I'm going to sit with my black neighbor uh, in the meal. And, you know, that's good until maybe someone comes along and, you know, challenges them and then they're afraid and then they stop doing that. And uh, that's what Peter was doing. Peter sat next to his Gentile neighbors until these other people, uh, who probably were not from James, they may have I mean, James didn't support this. They may have come from Jerusalem and so forth, but then they became weak too. Uh, And then Peter sees them and he goes back and reverts. And that's why uh, Paul challenges Peter to his face publicly because this was a public sin. We are to deal Matthew 18 with people's sin privately, but because this was a public sin that everyone would have seen Peter doing, Paul has to deal with it publicly.
0: The uh, chapter ends with a, a great set of uh, verses that you could commit to memory. And, and here's one of them. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I am now living in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, and so uh, it's not by circumcision that uh, I am right with God. It's by Christ that I am right with God. And I, I got to tell you, it's, it's kind of uh, an awkward conversation when you're teaching this to high schoolers and uh, you have to talk so much about circumcision. But the uh, the neat thing is that you can take this and make use any type of uh, human custom that people say, uh, whether it is... Um, Well, yeah, I don't want to touch on too many hot-button topics, but just pick any hot-button topic and uh, substitute that for circumcision, and uh, you could say, it is not that that makes me right with God, it is Christ that makes me right with God.
1: So you were talking about verse 20, I wanted to finish up with verse 21. Uh, Paul writes, I do not regard the grace of God as nothing. As a matter of fact, if righteousness is through law, then Christ died for nothing, and the EHV translators put an exclamation point there. Uh, that we're saved by faith alone. But if we try to add anything to what Christ did, then we are denying that scriptural truth that Christ did it all. And I think of a situation a number of years ago when I was in Kentucky uh, that I was talking to a lady that my wife had met at one of the house parties where, you know, ladies come and they sell each other all that stuff. Uh, well, she was Roman Catholic. Uh, And she told me that she had to do good things to make up for her sins. She said she had to go to purgatory after she died to finish paying for her sins. Well, I explained this verse to her. If righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And I asked her if she believed that Jesus paid for 100% of her sins. She said, yes. Well, then I asked her if Jesus paid for 100% of your sins, then... Why are you trying to make up for your sins with your Hail Marys and Our Fathers and penance and indulgences? Because anytime you, you try to add your righteousness, your works to Christ, then you're saying Christ did not do enough. And she replied, I'm not sure. You're confusing me. Go and talk to my priest. And I said, I don't want to talk to your priest. I want to convince you. But that's the idea. It's either Christ did it all or Paul says Christ did nothing.
0: And uh, he continues to land some pretty heavy hitting blows in chapter 3. Uh, he starts by calling them, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Uh, and then he goes into a detailed uh, series of questions that, um, it, that you could get tangled up with uh they could be they could sound a little bit confusing, but uh the way that I like to illustrate it, or at least I tried to illustrate it in class for my students is uh, picture a church being built, and uh you have the foundation of the church, Paul says, you saw that your church was founded on salvation by grace without Works that uh, it was just by hearing and believing that your church was founded. And then how did your church grow? It was just by hearing and believing. It was not by your works that your church grew. Uh, And now let's imagine that you have to put a roof on this church Uh, do you really think that the roof you're going to put on this church is suddenly going to be by building it through your good works? Um, No, it's going to be by grace through uh, the hearing that uh, produces faith. Um, And so I I kind of had this illustration of uh, the foundation of a church and the building of the church, uh, but then the roof uh, is, is put on not by works, but also by hearing and believing in the grace of Christ.
1: Well, Pastor Lightning, the next time you teach on Galatians three uh, to your students, I want you to call them uh, "you foolish students," and then and then you, go on.
0: You foolish teenagers, who has bewitched you?
1: Yeah, and then explain that bewitched isn't talking about Samantha Stevens twitching her nose.
0: That will be a reference that is totally lost on them.
1: <laughs> uh, but he's saying, you know, by being bewitched, what's gotten into you? Why would you give up salvation through the crucifixion of Christ for something that causes you to lose your salvation? Uh, and then in verses two uh, and five, he talks about the works of the law. Well, what is penance? We talked about it a little bit. Roman Catholicism believes that people can make up for their sins by doing good works or paying. Money—that's penance. Well, oh, Pastor Lightning, have you ever heard of Lutheran penance?
0: Well, I no.
1: Okay, because I talk about that. I use uh, Lutheran penance. Wait—is this—is
0: this a joke or is this a sincere, no, just, this is okay, sincere thing? That—that that, if—if it's possible to rectify something that you've done wrong, then you have every reason to to try and to make it right, but that is not how you get right with God. That's just, is that kind of what you're talking about? Well, the
1: way I talk about Lutheran penance is that uh, I think as Lutherans, you know, we know that Christ paid for all of our sins and we cherish that, but we have our sinful nature inside of us that thinks that's too easy. Uh, And so we try to make up for our sins with our guilt, you know maybe we trust that we're forgiven but we have to beat ourselves up again uh that we know that Christ forgave us for the affair that we that was committed years ago but we have to keep on asking for forgiveness or we feel guilt over things we've said and done but then our sinful nature feels we still have to feel something feel guilty well that's just as wrong as the Judaizers or uh, Roman, Roman Catholics with their penance. Again, it, I always just talk about that Lutheran penance of Christ paid for our sins. We understand that we, we cherish it, but then we feel we still have to feel guilty. We have to do something and maybe not Hail Mary's and Our Fathers, but at least carrying around that guilt. And that's just the same thing as the Judaizers or Roman Catholics. And that's, that's wrong.
0: So ignore what I said before about Lutheran penance. This is a different type of penance. Uh, And it just got me thinking as I was looking at verse 10 that... if, if you think, oh, I better feel a certain sorrow over my, yeah, th- I hope we feel sorry over our sins. But if you make it all dependent on how you feel or how sorry you are for your sins or how much guilt you carry around, uh, then Paul says in verse 10, well, you are cursed if you do not uh, go on to feel that way all the time. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So if you think, uh, you know, feeling guilty is uh, what makes you right with God, uh, then there too, the Paul, uh, Paul says, uh, no, that that is not how you get right with God. And if you think so, then uh, you got to do that all the time perfectly. And uh, since you can't do that, you are cursed.
1: Uh, and I want to talk about that quickly too. Yeah. It's do. Uh, you know, my, one of my favorite phrases with my daughters is, do or do not, there is no try. That's, that's that, Yoda. I don't
0: think you originated that. No, one. no, no.
1: no. Uh, but you do it, and you have to do everything 100% of the time and continually every moment of every day. And it's either that, Paul says, or it's nothing. And for us, we understand as Lutheran Christians, it's nothing. Give it all to Christ.
0: And then... Paul makes a nice little turn of phrase with that word cursed. Um, He he goes from telling us that we are cursed if we don't do everything perfectly all the time. Uh, He quotes this Old Testament verse. Uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 21, where it says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, Moses originally gave that, or God originally inspired Moses to write that as a way of saying, uh, don't put your dead bodies up, uh, you know, hanging on a on a tree or on a pole. Uh, I don't want to see dead bodies on the land that I am giving you. But uh, Paul uses that now to say, that the one who will be hung on a tree, that is the Messiah, uh, he's going to carry the curse of all of us who did not uphold the law perfectly our whole lives.
1: And with that, with that cursing, too, uh, that reminds me of uh, the proper preface for the sacrament during this Lenten season that is in the common service or divine service. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who brought the gift of salvation to all people by his death on the tree of the cross, so that the devil who overcame us by a tree would in turn by a tree be overcome. Uh, for those of you listening, if uh, you get the opportunity, go to Epiphany's Facebook page, because we're not yet on social media, Water of Life, and there you'll see our, our picture. Of We've got a triptych of a stained glass window of Jesus as the good shepherd above our altar. But then we have two paintings on the left and right of our church that changes during the the church year. During the Lenten season, uh, the painting on the left is Adam. And he's come back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's picked up a piece of fruit and he's examining it. He's got his clothes on. So God has killed an animal. And the idea is... Adam is looking at this fruit going, what have I done? And there's a brightly colored serpent on the tree. On the opposite side of the church is uh, Jesus hanging on the tree of the cross. That uh, the painting, it looks like a tree that has been cut down by the Romans and fashioned into uh, the cross. And Jesus uh, is covered uh, just at his waist, but he probably would have been hanging there naked. And underneath underneath his foot is the crushed serpent, going back to genesis three fifteen of the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, and just that idea of of looking at those two paintings in our congregation every uh every Lenten season it's talking about what Paul is talking about here, Jesus enduring the curse of The first Adam that he brought on us, and Jesus is the second Adam that we become, that we uh, are brought to life and salvation through what Jesus accomplished on the tree.
0: Paul goes on to uh, bring in the factor of Abraham to this discussion. Of course, the Judaizers would have been very interested in being called descendants of Abraham. And Paul makes the point throughout this letter that the the true descendants of Abraham are the ones who believe as Abraham believed, not necessarily the ones who went through the uh, custom of circumcision like Abraham went through. Uh, And Paul talks about uh, Abraham having the promise of a seed. And he makes a big deal, Paul does, about uh, Abraham not being promised seeds, But being promised one seed, uh, that is Christ. In other words, there's one descendant in particular. It's not the whole nation of descendants. It's one in particular that would come from that nation that would be uh, the savior of the world. And that's how we are justified um and and there's an awful lot of uh things in in this chapter that could be very confusing and hard to uh discuss at at great length but uh, the main point in uh verse 18 and prior to that uh is that when God gave the 10 commandments the constitution more or less of his ancient people um yes, that was a big deal. That was very important that God gave the law on Mount Sinai. Uh but do you know what's even more important? Paul says, is 430 years before that, when God made a different kind of a covenant, a deal, uh, where he says, it's not by your keeping of the commandments that I'm going to call you my family and my children. Uh, He told Abraham, it is through your seed, through this promise of an offspring that I will call you my uh, children.
1: And talking about the children, going back to verse 15, when someone has established a last will and testament, no one nullifies it or adds to it. Uh, what is Paul talking about here is he's saying, once a will is made, it cannot be altered. The, the gospel was given to Abraham before the law came to Moses on Mount Sinai 430 years later. He's saying the law cannot alter the gospel. But the Judaizers wanted to be saved by Christ and the law. But Paul says, then you're changing God's will. God gave the gospel first and the law second. God's will cannot be changed. So, Pastor Layton, have you ever seen the movie Knives Out?
0: No, I have not. Okay.
1: I'd encourage you to- That's more
0: recent, right?
1: Yeah, it's pretty new. Uh, I'd encourage you to watch it.
0: Christopher Plummer?
1: Uh, I'm not sure who's all in it. But, but it is—it's a really good whodunit movie. But I'm not going to spoil it. There's he was
0: Captain Von Trapp.
1: Do you know Captain Funtrap? Yes, that yeah. guy. Okay. Yeah, that's the guy. That's okay. that's—he's killed in it. He's—he's I'll, I'll he's the victim. Yeah. Okay. So, but there's lots of twists and turns in it. But when you watch the movie, the point of me bringing it here is you see that a will cannot be changed to fit what the kids and the grandkids in the movie want. Just like. Paul is saying to the Judaizers, "You cannot change God's will. Gospel comes first through Abraham, which is followed by the law through through Moses."
0: The uh, illustration that I liked using with my students in verses nineteen through twenty five was of uh, I, I would draw a little emblem of the t- two tablets of the Ten Commandments, uh, like Moses, and. I would have, except I would personify the Ten Commandments, and I would put a little frowny face on it, and then there was this little child that uh, was holding hands with the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are kind of dragging this child along, Uh, and there was a school building, I would draw a school building, and then at the door of the school building would be Christ, And uh, the idea here is that uh, Paul says the law is like a chaperone. Uh, Maybe you'd say a bus driver even. Uh, The law is only here to... uh, take care of us whenever we are not under the influence of Christ. Uh, As long as we're under the influence of Christ, uh, as long as we're at the school building, there's no need for the law because we're under the influence of righteousness. Uh, But the picture behind it is this word for uh, one household servant uh, in the uh, ancient Roman times that uh, his main job was to make sure that the kid would get to school and back safely. And otherwise, uh, the kid was in charge of the servant. The, the, the servant was the worker in the household and the child was the heir of the whole uh, estate. Um, and Paul was saying to the Christians in, Gal- in Galatia, uh, don't let the law treat you like uh, that is the, that is your father. Uh, no, your, your father is God and the law is merely a servant that uh, is supposed to help you.
1: And I like your illustration of the bus driver. I thought of the illustration as the EHV translates that word chaperone. And uh, I have four daughters, and my youngest daughter was often the chaperone. Uh, that when one of her older sisters was at the house with a boy, you know, we had uh, Belle, our youngest daughter, sit in between the boy and girl as they're watching a movie, uh, telling, and then they would, she would come and tell me anything that I needed to hear.
0: I was going to say, I think you got that backwards. I thought the older sisters were supposed to be the chaperone, but now I see where you're going yeah, with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, because, you know, little kids, they like to be tattletales, mm-hmm. uh, but she it's was true. she was the chaperone, uh, and, and that's what, you know, I thought you had a really good illustration of that. And the last thing I want to talk about with this chapter is uh, baptism. In fact, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, uh, that you were baptized and that Christ have been clothed with Christ. Uh, think of uh, those babies that you baptized when you were in uh, in the parish, like, like I am, and you see parents bringing their children wearing the white baptismal gown. I had a baptism a few weeks ago. Uh, a little boy is almost a year old and he had a a white bow tie and a vest and so forth. But the idea is uh, that they are wearing the, those white clothing because they're picturing being baptized in the righteousness of Christ. And for us, who are older. Every time we come to God with our confession and we receive absolution, it's as if we are being re-baptized and we're having the white perfect righteous clothing of Christ cover over our dirty filthy sinful clothing
0: yeah it, and i think when you talk about the the baptismal garments uh those are the symbols and uh, the neat thing is that Paul says in verse 27, he does not say in verse 27, that uh, when you were baptized into Christ, that represents being clothed with Christ. Uh, the baptism itself is not a symbol. That actually did the clothing. It actually did put his righteousness on you. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I was wondering, are, are we going to cover chapter 4 we today?
1: Covering, we'll cover chapter 4. All right. We're going to go a little bit longer than usual, but Paul has so much in Galatians. So we'll cover this a little bit here. So if you want to start out with Galatians 4.
0: Well, uh, he just continues with that analogy of uh, a child's place in the family uh, versus a servant's place in the family. You had that uh, chaperone servant that would take That's the law that just takes uh, the child to school and back. The uh, main character in that should be Christ, who is uh, the influence in our lives. Uh, And also you get the other persons of the Trinity as well. You've got Abba, Father, uh, and uh, you wouldn't be able to call out that beautiful prayer, Abba, Father, without the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, teaching you how to pray and influencing, influencing you.
1: And then in verse 5, Paul uses that word redeem again, like he did in chapter 3. Uh, Pastor Lightning, do you remember Paul Harvey? Yes. So when I was younger, uh, Paul Harvey would be on the radio two or three times a day. And uh, I wanted to read uh, one of his most well-known stories. I can't read it the way Paul Harvey did, but you just have to imagine him. Or you can watch his, it on YouTube and, and listen to his voice. His but,
0: soothing His soothing voice. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, this is a story he told. A Boston preacher, Dr. S.D. Gordon, placed a beat up, bent, rusted old bird cage beside his pulpit when he told the story. An unkempt, unwashed little lad, about 10 years old, was coming up the alley swinging this old, caved in bird cage with several tiny birds shivering on the floor of it. The compassionate Dr. Gordon asked the boy where he got the birds. He said he trapped them. Dr. Gordon asked what he was going to do with them. The boy said he was going to play with them and have fun with them. The preacher said, sooner or later, you'll get tired of them. Then what are you going to do with them? The lad said, I have some cats at home. They like birds. I'll feed them to my cats. Dr. Gordon said, son, how much do you want for the birds? The boy surprised, hesitated and said, mister, you don't want these birds. They're just plain old field birds. They can't even sing. They're ugly. The preacher said, just tell me, how much do you want? The grubby little lad thought about it. He squinted up one eye. He calculated and hesitated and said, $2? To a st- surprise, Dr. Gordon reached into his pocket and handed the boy two $1 bills. The preacher took the cage. The boy, in a wink, hurried up the alley. In a sheltered crevice between buildings, Dr. Gordon opened the door of the cage and tapping on the rusty exterior, he encouraged the little bird's one at a time, to find their way out through the narrow door and fly away. Thus, having accounted for the empty cage beside his pulpit, the preacher went on to tell what seemed at first like a separate story. About once upon a time, Jesus and the devil had engaged in a negotiation. Satan had boasted how he'd baited a trap in Eden's garden and caught himself a world full of people. What are you going to do with all those people in your cage? Jesus wanted to know. The devil said, I'm going to play with them, tease them. Make them marry and divorce and fight and kill one another. I'm going to teach them to throw bombs on one another. I'm going to have fun with them. Jesus said, you can't have fun with them forever. When you get tired of playing, what are you going to do with them? Satan, Satan said, damn them. They're no good anyway. Damn them. Kill them. Jesus said, how much do you want for them? Satan said, can't be serious. If I sell them to you, they'll just spit on you. They'll hate you. They'll hit you and beat you. They'll hammer nails into you. They're no good. Jesus said, how much? Satan said, all of your tears and all of your blood, that's the price. Jesus took the cage and paid the price and opened the door. That's the story.
0: That's a a powerful story. And uh, that it kind of gets at uh, the meaning of redemption. Um, I don't know if I can follow up on that uh, too cleverly, so I'll just I'll just keep talking until I come up with something to say. Um, d- yeah, it, you, we're really getting to uh, one of the toughest parts of the Book of Galatians at the end of chapter four. Um, it, I, Paul does get a little bit graphic, as uh, that that story did, um, when he talks about his own interactions and dealings with the Galatians. Um, he he's wondering why is it that they are turning back to the miserable basic principles of this world and he calls them basic principles of this world that's really a technical term uh for any human religion and it's it it would be shocking for Jews to hear Paul call the old testament covenant basic principles uh because uh, that that sounds like any pagan religion uh you we might think of karma uh you might think of uh uh do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that that's the basic principle of this world. Um, it's a completely otherworldly principle to hear the gospel of Jesus. And uh, that's what Paul preached to the Galatians. And uh, they loved it. They loved it so much that Paul said uh, in, uh, in in verses 12 through uh, 20 that... Uh, what happened to our original relationship? It, you Galatians were so happy that you heard the gospel that you were ready to tear out your own eyes and give me your eyesight. Um, and and that is... Uh, that's That's where Paul gets kind of graphic, uh, and hes but this is this is how people react to the gospel uh they they love it so much they're willing to give up anything to keep hearing it and uh, Paul says the Galatians were ready to uh, tear out their own eyeballs if they could have and let Paul make use of them
1: and then the last illustration that Paul uses about Hagar and Sarah, so just like you and I can really relate to that story told by Paul Harvey about redemption. And you and I being the birds and being freed from the cage. So Paul talks about an illustration that the Jews would have understood about Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac. And really the point of it is that we are free. Don't keep going back into the slavery of keeping laws. Rather live in Christ's freedom that uh, he won for us as he lived under the law. Uh, becoming a curse for you on the tree of the cross, rising from the grave, all to set you free so that you might live as his sons and daughters and be able to call God Abba, Father.
0: The interesting thing for me when we went through this in class is that uh, I I wanted to make sure the students understood the whole background of Hagar and Sarah and Abraham and how uh, it was that Uh, Abraham and Sarah weren't having any children of their own, so they took matters into their own hands and said, uh, well, Sarah told Abraham, here, you can sleep with my slave girl. And uh, Abraham did, and they produced a child together, he he with the slave girl. And uh, what was interesting was that that sparked a conversation in class from uh, my students of Uh, discussions of things like uh, in vitro fertilization and uh, uh, surrogacy and uh, all the medical technology that people use today in order to uh, get fertility. And um, I I tried not to make any definitive statements of this is right and that is wrong, but uh, I do think the Holy Spirit uh, knew what he was doing when he used this as an illustration, because what is it when we fall back on any kind of salvation by works? It's us saying to God, God, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to find my own way to make things right with you. Uh, whether it's uh it, it, Abraham and Sarah using the slave girl as uh, a fertility measure uh, or whether it's us today following uh, whatever customs we think will make us right with God uh, that is not how he wants to have a relationship with us uh, he wants to uh, he wants us to call uh, call him father only through his son uh, our resurrected lord Jesus
1: Is there anything else you want to bring up with Galatians chapter 4
0: Not today
1: All right So next week, we're going to finish up Galatians, and then we're going to spend more time with St. Paul in the city of Corinth. Uh, We'll see how much of what Paul found in first century Corinth is very similar to what we find in 21st century America. So this is Pastor Zierling with Pastor Tampa Bay Lightning. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.